Hey, Jimbo, you ready for this deal? Turn him out. <laughs> Old stories like long lost friends. Rodeos and late night bends. History before our time. Round pens and pasture rides. Cowboys of the Osage. Howdy, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Cowboys of the Osage podcast, brought to you by the Ben Johnson Cowboy Museum and the Buck and Flamingo Turquoise Store, both located right here in historic downtown Pasco, Oklahoma. Hey, it's old Cody over here, and as always, I have my main man with me, Mr. Songwriter himself, Mr. Rodeo Historian himself, Jimbo Snively. Good morning, Jimbo. Good to see you. Who are we talking to today? Hey, Cody boy, it's another great day in Osage, and and that Buckham Flamingo, that's the place. Now, I try to keep my wife out of there. They've got the biggest selection of turquoise jewelry in Oklahoma, as you well know. But a uh, good place to come visit. Yeah, if you like the podcast, be sure and right. call and right. buy your wife something for Christmas. There. Right. Um, Cody, we got a great cowboy with us today, Rope Myers. He was a 1991 college national finals rodeo champion. He was a 1992 resist all rookie of the year. He's in the Texas Hall of Fame. He uh, a nine times NFR Bulldogger. He won the World's Championship in 2001. He won a gold medal in two. I don't think we've ever had a gold medal winner on here before, have we? I'm not that I know of, Jimbo. Yeah, that's pretty rare company there. Uh, he won the gold medal in 2002. He's from the famous Myers Roping family, He's, or rodeo family. His dad, Butch, was a World's Champion Bulldogger. Uh, his brother Cash still going strong with the NFR Bulldogger, Cab Roper. His sister Ty was a great cowgirl, and uh, and also you people might have heard of one of their cousins, Ty Murray. So a very historic family for sure. And uh, Rope, we're just uh, tickled to death to have you on with us today. Welcome to the Cowboys of Osage podcast. Well, we're glad to be. I'm glad to be a part of it. Glad to see uh, uh, other people out there sharing the the love of uh, rodeo and horse being a cowboy and just being out there in this lifestyle so i'm glad to be a part of it well we're tickled to have you where'd you grow up at rope well you know i was born in colorado i was raised in eastern kansas though i was raised not too far from pahuska um in a little town called Welda, kansas we had the rope and tie for cash arena and we had rodeos and and jackpots and stuff all uh, up there all the time I was growing up. But I got to, went to college in Texas. I've been here ever since. Did your dad teach you how to bulldog, I guess? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, my dad started steer-assing clinics in 1969. And we've had, a steer, we've had two steer-assing clinics a year, every year since 1969, you know, um, uh, Eastern Thanksgiving every year. Like I say, we've never missed a year that entire time. And I grew up as a little kid <clears throat> pushing cattle and and uh, tailing the steers and running the machines and 
and doing that, but long before I was able and big enough to uh, run in, run a real steer. Um, so uh, it's been it's been it's been fun to be able to do that, grow up doing it, and continue to do it a, a, as my profession. Did you did you do much roping? Oh yes, sir. You know, I, I uh, um, you know I grew up roping. I rope rope before I could walk. You know, and um, all of us kids did. You know, my my rookie year, I I I uh, actually won as I'm. You know, I missed the finals in the steer house on my rookie year by two hundred and eighty seven dollars. Um, but that same year, I, I won as much in the in the tie down roping as I did in the in the um, in the steer wrestling. Um, just. Uh, you know, a couple couple of injuries along the way that kind of made roping a little. You know, let me continue. I, I broke my wrist or broke my navicular bone in my right hand. Um, my the same year I made the finals for the first time, and I could still steer asshole, but uh, you know, kind of put my put my cap roping behind schedule a little bit. So, your dad, he isn't the biggest guy in the world. He came up with his own uh, technique of bulldogging. But you're a lot bigger than the rest of your family, it looks like. Um, did you kind of combine his technique with, with a bigger, stronger guy's technique all at the same? Sure. You know, I mean, I, I'm, you know, in steer wrestling anymore, I mean, heck, everybody's, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm just average size. But, <laughs> but yeah, my dad, you know, my dad was, um, you know, 5'11 and, you know, 200 pounds. He was a little lighter and a little smaller than some of the other guys. And, really it came through those clinics as much as anything else. We, he, he was, uh, I, I really do feel like he was an innovator in the sport. I mean, I, I always feel like that there's what he did is he did a great job of, well, first of all, just being honest and saying, okay, what really does work? And then secondly, just, um, combining what those things were working from all these other guys and, and putting it together into a, a cohesive and, and, and overall form that works for everybody. You know, when um, my mom was, we were growing up, I mean, you, I'm, the, I'm this old, so um, she had the uh, she had the old video camera that had the big pack on her on her hip, and she would uh, she'd have that thing over her shoulder, and it was and she would video the old VHS tapes just hundreds and hundreds of runs at all those flacks, you know, where my dad was, dad was rodeoing and competing and dad would go home and he would watch those runs and he'd watch them over and over and over and over again. And, you know, that old kind of squiggly rewind and start over and wait, rewind and go again <clears throat> and just came up with, um, you know, that between that and the schools, you know, teaching something that way it's been taught forever and then realizing it's not really working for these guys. So how do we, how do we change how we're instructing? How do we're teaching it? What's actually happening in the stir and run? And that is between those two things really was able to create a, a style and a form that works for, you know, anybody that tries, we have a saying that says every time it's tried and, the, and then the, um, almost all our students say it works. And the point of it is, is not that it's our style. It's just what actually works with the, me- the mechanics and the, and the physiology of the steer. What is it exactly, Rope, just in a kind of a broad sense? Sure. In a, in a layman's perspective, yeah. I'd say that the, the, the point of it is, is that, I mean, the, one of the fundamental things that we go, we, we start with is that 
steers are stronger, faster, more agile, and we stay better looking than most bulldoggers. So, um, so use, we're going to use the steer's strength, speed, and agility against um, himself. And we do that by getting his head out from in line with his body when we first catch him and then allowing him to just follow his head with the speed. Um, the other, another, another tenet is that um, it's true in all, everything, but, um, uh, you know, in your, in, your, in your truck, you know, six speed has lots more speed and a lot less power. And um, first speed has a lot more power and a lot less speed. So we want to keep the speed up, and to keep the, which allows us to keep the power down in the steer. So we don't try to slow the steer down. We try to let him come past us with speed. It makes it a little more difficult to do, but it, it removes the, the factor of, uh, of their power. And then secondly, after all, this is a timed event competition. We want to do it as fast as possible. Right. Besides your dad, who were some of the – guys that you looked up to as a kid growing up? Well, you know, um, I was fortunate enough to be around just an, a, an incredible amount of really talented guys and, and, and grew up around them, got to watch them compete, got to watch them stare asshole. Um, I, I loved uh, watching Todd Fox Bulldog and, and practicing with him. I, I feel like he uh, was, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I learned a lot from him, um, both just how to compete but also just how to win. And so, you know, he's one of the guys, I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I love Roy Duvall. I mean, being an Oklahoma guy, I mean, um, he's a good, a good fella that, you know, uh, kind of was a pioneer in our sport. So, uh, you know, I got to watch a lot of those guys and I got to watch my dad, you know, take a little bit from each one of those guys and, and kind of add it to what we do. Todd Fox, I don't think he ever won a world championship, did he? No, he didn't. Um, I was but, always a huge uh, fan of his, though. I mean, growing yeah, up, I always he, took notice of him. He, yeah, he came close a lot of time, several times, and and uh, really, really quit when he still was still in his prime. I mean, just kind of went back to what he, you know, he has a pretty big real estate business up down there in, in his part of the world, down around Marble Falls, still, and so he just kind of went back and decided to do that, you know. Yeah, he was a gritty bulldogger. Right, Jimbo. Yeah, I think I saw him in the matches at the Windy Ryan a couple times. Man, it was just such good watching watching Todd Fox bulldog. Yeah, sir. Did you ever match anybody there at the Windy Ryan? Oh, yeah, you did. I remember he matched old Joe Walker there one time. Yeah, I did. I, I, and it was I, a mighty I, I, booger. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I won. Holy moly! I won two matches there, and the third, my third attempt to, I really should have won that one too but I, I i caught a steer and my my hazer's a little bit late it was my dad i hate to say that but it was <laughs> but uh, i i still caught him but when he went i went down the steer went down when i caught him and he, and he sheared his right horn off and i couldn't keep hold of him he got loose and ended up getting beat by by teddy johnson so but uh anyway i i got a i got a match there a few times i wish i could have matched there more times i enjoyed doing that you matched Teddy like Johnson Matt. and Joe Walker and who else? Um, I matched. I, I can't. I think it's Byron. I matched the first time. I can't remember. I matched a bunch of. I've matched a bunch of guys over the years. I love matching. Way back in the day, we used to go to all the Duvalls and and Huddlestons. And you know, when I was still in high school and college, I'd I'd, I'd have a match every year. We had a, we had a lot of matches over the over the years. I, I liked matching. I liked it. 
I like the um, old battle royal they used to have at, at Duval's. That was one of my favorite things to do. I, I've won that twice. Should have won it two more times, but um, that that was always fun. Ten guys, and I used to get the ten. I mean, they used to have the ten best guys. You know, some of the ten best guys in the world there in that match. And you know, you run the same ten steers, and everybody runs the same ten steers. You run five, and then they 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 run the the junior bulldog, and then they run you run five more, and. Uh, Anyway, it was that was always my favorite, one of my favorite things to do that we, we got to do. I got to do several times. So, did you approach the match match bulldogs a little different than you would at a rodeo rope, or was it just all the same? Well, you know what I I I, I always had this. I mean, steerless was too difficult to add anything or take anything away from it. So you just go at every single steer the same way you go at everything else. You 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 know you. You go at him to make the very best run you can on that steer. You take the same start you take any other time, and, and you, you know, and you don't don't be safe or anything else. You you have to run bulldog on the edge, you know, the nice edge of it. You know what I mean? Right. And um, and you know, I, like I said, I won that thing twice, and the only two times. The, so the only, uh, well, one time. So the first time I didn't win it. Um, uh, it, it actually Herbert Terrio won it. Um, Brad Gleason was winning it. We was in about the seventh or I think it was the seventh through the seventh round. I was in second behind Brad Gleason and he, but he was about three seconds up on me. And, um, you know, this is as an example of what you're saying there. I pushed just a little bit. I'm like going, I gotta, I gotta do something to catch him. You know what I'm mm, saying? Right. So I took a bit of a chance. I t- took a bit of a chance on the start and I broke a barrier. I broke that barrier. Um, and then that was in the eighth round. And then he runs about three guys after me and he messes one up completely <laughs> and end up being Herbert Terrio comes back and wins it. It was a great, great opportunity for me to learn. Like that was, I was, that was when I was just, I think I just barely made one finals at that time is all I had. But it was a great place for me to learn. I learned that lesson on that steer. I was like going, no, you can't. You can't add anything or try to do anything different. But just run the steer you've got the best you can. If it works out, it works out. And and uh, so anyway, that 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 taught me that lesson because Her- Herbert didn't do anything special. He just let us come catch him from the front. So yeah, it works out that way sometimes. Yes, sir. The other time, now I'll tell you the second, the other time, the third time I should have won it. I just I got screwed that time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what happened was uh, I, I threw a steer. There was a steer that would always fall the wrong way. And um, there's a there's a thing you can do if the steer falls the wrong way. You can roll his head out, and then you're, then you're supposed to get a flag when he's flat. It doesn't matter which side he's on. As long as he's flat with all four feet set in the same direction, they start to, they stop the time. And Butch Kirby was uh, – I'm not saying he did it. On, he certainly didn't do it on purpose, but just – as the judge, you should know the rules. Well, anyway, the steer fell on the wrong side, and he got confused and held the flag and then rode all the way around and then realized he was supposed to drop the flag, and everybody's hollering at him. He dropped the flag, and I was like 10-6 on that steer and ended up I, – I, I won second that year by two seconds, and I should have been, you know, five or six seconds on that steer. So, But anyway, that was one of my favorite things to do, you know, coming through is that the, the battle royal was – you know, of course, they don't do it like that anymore. But that was pretty. That was a pretty awesome way to compete. Yeah, that I, that was always a famous big steer wrestling down there, Jimbo. I remember everyone used to talk about that ten yeah. man. Everyone put up a thousand winner take all they had wow. there. Yeah, they said they wow. used to. Uh, 
bulldog all the way into the night there and start having pretty wild matches like running their horses bareback or running <laughs> barefoot matches yeah, all, or stuff like that all kinds of, i mean and arm arm wrestling and and foot <laughs> races and Indian leg wrestling. I mean, you just didn't. It, eventually, it just kind of the wheels would come completely off. But it was back in the day. It was it was it was quite a quite an adventure. A lot of guys gambling on the side, and and everybody playing over and under for at least a dollar on nearly every run, every steer that's run. And, and you know, it was it was quite an atmosphere. It, it's a it's a it's still a, a decent steer wrestling, but it's not wasn't like it was back then. Over and under is a game that you play, Jimbo, and I know you probably know what it is. I'm just telling everybody else what it is. It's a game, I guess there would be two guys sitting there, and you rotate back and forth, and one guy says a time, and you say over or under, and then uh, the loser's got to pay, then you go back and forth. And I've seen them play at San Angelo for $100 a run at the steer open. Oh, yeah. Over yeah. and under. And sometimes there'll be a group of, you know, eight or ten of you, so, you know, if you – if you you said it, everybody goes over, and you're you're paying you're paying all of those guys. <laughs> it can get expensive in a hurry. Oh yeah, well, holy moly, yeah. I had I didn't play with a big bunch of guys. I've only played with one or two yeah. guys, so <laughs> that would get pretty darn expensive. Yeah, if if you ever said it, and they all get on one side of you, you either win a bunch or lose a bunch in a hurry. <laughs> Did you go to a bunch of rodeos with your dad growing up, or they make you stick around the house? No, we, we went a lot. You know, my dad was um, always wanted his family around him. He took us a lot. And, uh, you know, everybody always asked, did, did dad make you be a cowboy? And I'm like, no, but, I mean, every little kid dreams of being a cowboy. I just got to do it with real horses and steers. So. He was a pretty good all-around hand, too, in his younger days, wasn't he? Did yeah, I'm- you know, he made he made the he made the, he made the NFR and the calf roping and the steer wrestling, and he's uh, – and, you know, back in the day, he was quite a bareback rider, you know. I mean, there's a lot of those stock contractors in the IRA and the, you know, and stuff would, would tell you that he was hard to throw off. What was your favorite rodeo to go to with him every year? Uh, you know, that's, that's, a, that's, a, tough, uh, that's a tough question. Um, you know, back in, way back then, we used to go to Pontiac Silverdome up in Michigan, which is kind of a – crazy place to have a rodeo but you know that back then in the silver dome had that 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 roof that was like um inflated with air you know and uh so when i was little you know that was an ira rodeo that was one of my favorites and then later it became uh houston we used to go to the slack at houston and and we knew all the tricks about houston we knew how to get up in the parts of the of the you know that nobody else could get into we got into you know like the weeks and everything all of us little kids that were you know kids of uh of the different you know all the different people that were there competing in the slack there's you know there's always a good you know 15 20 of us rugrats running around and um had a ropes and everything else and we would sneak in we had we had a way to to get into the top of the old astrodome and and that was always kind of fun so yeah we used to do that with the lazy arena to go find all the little secret areas it was fun <laughs> yeah <Growing up. laughs> You made the, uh, you were the resist all rookie of the year in 92, but you didn't make the finals in till 95. I guess you have to pay your dues, right? Well, you know, you know, in 90, in 92, I missed the finals by $287. I, 
you, you remember numbers like that. Right. And then, and then in, um, in 93, um, I was in the top 15 and I tore my ACL at Auburn, um, California. Um, and then, so I healed up in, in 93 and then 94, I came back and I was 16th in the world again. I missed the finals again by one spot. Um, so, you know, I guess that's, uh, how it goes sometimes. And in 95, of course, I ended up, um, runner up for the world title that year. So. What was it like that first finals? And you, and by the way, you were, your dad made that finals too, didn't he? 95. Yeah, he made it in 95. We got to go to the same finals in 95 and in 97. That's uh, 95 was the most unusual finals I've ever been a part of. It was, it was the last time they, they had spheres like that at the NFR. They were, they were, they were not, they were not great. They were pretty, there were some pretty rank steers. I mean, there's a kind of a famous run of mine where I catch, I caught the steer about halfway. And he doesn't, I mean, I'm, you know, at this time I'm 220 pounds and he, he does not let me put my feet on the ground. My feet do not touch the ground all the way to the back end. And then I push off the back end with my feet, the, the, the back fence. I push off the back fence with my feet, still haven't touched the ground. I, I use that back fence to turn him and then I, I was able to throw it down. But, um, that year at the, at the finals, my first year, the very first year I ran at the NFR, um, I got a little too aggressive and kicked a little far and a steer stopped that kind of wasn't supposed to stop and I missed him. I double jumped him and threw him down and, but I, 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 I was just about a second and a half over the time limit when I got him to fall. And if he had, if I'd have thrown him, if I could have been 59.9 under, you know, under the 60, 60 second time limit, I, I would have, uh, I would have won the world that year. Um, but you know, if, 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 and buses candy nuts, right, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. But, uh, the good news is, is, uh, um, but you know, that, that was kind of a, uh, you know, it was a good learning opportunity for me. I won, I still won a lot of money that finals. I worked my way all, even though I was no time on my first year, worked my way all, all the way back up to get an average check. And, and it was a good, it was a good beginning. I'm guessing that was the only time that a father and son's ever competed in the bulldogging together at the finals. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, there's been, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not other than team rope, but I don't think there's ever been another event where, you know, a father and son competed at the same NFR. So. Right. I think you're right. Cause that, that's pretty rare for a father in those type of events, you know, for a, a father yeah. and son to, to compete. And you did it twice, 95, 96. What was that like competing with you? I guess you shared the same horse and everything. Uh, well, actually, we didn't. Um, we didn't ride the same horse. We we did um, after we we just didn't like the same horses. I, I like a different kind of horse. You know what I'm saying? I like the taller, stronger horse. He liked a little shorter horse. You know, um, part of it is our size and those kind of things. But yeah, we rode different horses. But um, uh, it was something else. You know, there was a in '97. You know, one of the things that led to me probably ended up. So there's kind of a cool thing, uh, you know, when the finals first came out and went to Vegas in 1985, my dad set the record that first year was in Vegas for the, for the average on 10 head at, at Vegas. Um, then that record stayed, was still in place in 97. In 97, 1997, um, 
I win the first round of NFR that year. I was three, three, three or three, four, it's pretty fast. And, um, the, they asked me at the buckles, gold buckle ceremony, you know, used to be, um, in, in, anyway, at the gold coast. And we, um, and they asked me, Hey, are you going to try to say, break your dad's record? And that year at 90, in 97, I said, you know, I, I, I said, you know, I just don't think that record's ever going to be broken is what I said out loud. But then this thought went in the back of my head. Is that true? Is that really, is that real? Is that true? And it was kind of interesting because then dad ended up breaking his own record that year at the NFR in 97, he broke his old record. And so now that was the new set, the new set was like 43, five or something like that. And then that record stayed in place until the year 2000 when, um, uh, I think it was Mickey G broke that record and, and set a new record of 42 something, um, on, on 10 head. And then in 2001, but partly because the seeds were sown there in 1997, I broke the record at the NFR and it still stands. And that, that record's 37.4 seconds on 10 head. And, but that, that year, because of what happened that year with dad breaking his own record was really probably, you know, you can't do something until you believe you can do it. And that was kind of where the seeds of that belief were, were sown. I realized that that was, you know, when I could, when I knew that I could be able to do that. About how old would your dad have been in 97? He was 52 in 97. That's pretty yeah. impressive to, to set, break the, the NFR record at, at that age. Wow. Absolutely. In a young man's yeah. sport, you know. Mm-hmm. Pretty impressive. Well, uh, the year you won it, you went in, I believe I read number 14. Is that right? Correct. Yes, sir. I, um, that was quite a quite a year. You know, I mean, um, it was really such a god year for us. Um, you know, um, uh, you know, as a as a as a kingdom man, you know, I, I've been walking it out with the Father for a long time by that point, and um, I really felt like early in that year that the Father made it really clear that that I was supposed to, that I wasn't going to rodeo in two thousand and two. Um, that 2001 was going to be my last year, and I, and I was good with that. I felt I felt really confident that that was what the Father wanted me to do, and um, so I was prepared to do that. Matter of fact, I was ready to do that. I kind of wanted to do it before that, and and uh, and anyway, that year went along, and I cannot tell you how bad that entire year went. 2001. I mean, like I, it went so bad. So I mean, one little kind of a little kind of a story from it was this. We were at, um, we had went to, uh, there's a group of us guys that uh, all believers that, that got to go to Angola prison and put on an exhibition rodeo for the, the prisoners and share the gospel with them. And when we were down there, um, of course, you know, you're going to go put on a prison or go, go put on a rodeo for a thousand prisoners. You kind of want to look good doing it. So I, you know, Stay Smith Cadillac, he said, yeah, you can take some steers down there. So we, I picked two just lollipops to go down there to that road, to that, to put on that rodeo. And so the steer that I run down there in the prison, um, over the 4th of July at Winderock, Arizona, of, you know, it's gone terrible. I haven't won hardly anything. And I get to Winderock and I have the very same steer that I had 
picked and hand chosen to take to the to the to the prison rodeo. I'm like going, all right, here's where it turns around. It's going to go a little better now. And that steer inexplicably kind of jumped to the right and then threw his head back to the left and actually stuck his horn right in my ear as an example of how bad it had went that entire year. And so the year goes on. Of course, then that's it's 2001, 9-11 is during Pendleton. And so the, the, um, the planes hit the towers and we're all, you know, separated from our family. All of us are out there rodeoing and all of us are just, I mean, it's just, it's heavy, you know, and we right. can't travel and everything is just, you know, ever there's even a question whether they're going to continue to do the rodeos and the whole thing is going on like that. And, and, um, I was ready to go home. I'm like, I'm a long ways from making the, top, the NFR. It just seems like, why am I even doing this? It's like, it's like practice and bleeding, you know, who needs it, you know? And, and, um, but at that, at that, I went to church service that night. A lot of us showed up, went to a church service that night. Um, and I'm in the middle of trying to decide whether to go home or not. And this, and the preacher that's up there talking, he literally gets stuck saying, man, you know, sometimes you just got to continue. I mean, just, you just got to continue. I don't even know how to say this, but you just got to continue. You just got to keep going. You just got to continue. And he just got stuck in this loop for what felt like an eternity. And finally, I just said to the father, all right, I get it. I'm supposed to keep going. And then as soon as I said that, the guy just took off and said the rest of the things he was going to say. Um, so I stayed hooked and it didn't look like I had, I was so far out of the top 15. I actually was at, at Back then, you know, the year didn't get over until the end of October. Now it gets over the 1st of October. So we were at Oklahoma City, and, um, and, you know, there's like, you know, two weeks left of the season. And I'm like 25th, um, in the, or maybe three weeks left in the season. I'm like 25th in the world standings, long ways out. And I'm watching Curtis Cassidy's good horse, Willie, go there at, at, um, at Oklahoma City. And, of course, at that time, nobody had ever ridden Willie at NFR. And, um, I, 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 I said, I watched him go and I was like, man, I would love to ride that horse in Vegas. I think he'd be great out there. And when I said that, I felt like in my spirit, I felt like that the father said, well, go ask him if you can ride. And of course, Curtis was making the finals at that time. It didn't look like I had any chance. So I had to go, I had to go kind of swallow my pride and go up to Curtis and say, Hey, you know, I know it's not very likely that I'll make the finals, but if I make it, is there any chance I could ride Willie out there? And of course, he he said he said I could. Well, then the next three weeks of the season go, and I pretty much entered everything I everything I went to. I won first at, and um, ended up making the finals in 14th position. And actually, one of the guys I knocked out right there at the end was Curtis, and I had to ask him if I could still ride Willie at NFR. And of course, then Willie turns around, ends up being a, a, a Hall of Fame horse. I win the I win the world on him, and and um, they win the world on him two more times after that. So, were you riding um, Willie when you made that run there in the fall? Or were you riding? Uh, I wasn't. I actually I actually rode him only at one of those places. I rode him at, at the Nile up in um, Billings. It was the only rodeo I was able to ride Willie at. Um, that was the first time I'd ever ridden him was at the Nile, and I'd already asked to ride him at the NFR. So, um, but I rode, him at, I rode him at the Nile up in up there, and I rode my horse at all the rest of the rodeos. I rode him at the, um, you know, the the, the shootout that they used to have at, at, in Dallas, and 
and rode rode my horse at the Cow Palace. And anyway, between all those rodeos, I ended up making a final. So you had a great fall riding this, your your horse, but still you yeah. you you had enough confidence in Willie that you got off your horse, which you you were been winning on, and and got on Willie. That took probably some guts, yeah. didn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, it was you know some conviction anyway. Right, right. <laughs> took something. <laughs> Did you get to run any practice steers on him before the NFR? No, sir. No, sir. I showed up there, and everybody kind of thought I was crazy because, I mean, nobody had ever ridden him there. And and But um, that year, there were five guys riding Scooter, that great horse of Jimmy Powers's. And um, and then and halfway through the NFR, my, my brother got off of his horse and started riding Willie, and we ended up, with one and so one and a half NFRs, we ended up winning, winning more on Willie than they won on the five guys riding the uh, riding scooter one on him. So I remember a vic- victory lap that year. That tell us what happened. <laughs> well, so my brother and I are, are winning the um, round, and there's one guy left. And of course, at that point in time, they 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 already have you mounted up on on the victory lap horse. The very last guy is um, Chad Beesmeyer goes, and he ties us. He doesn't. He doesn't beat us. He ties us. So there's going to be three of us on the victory lap, and um, and he walks out. And I felt bad not for not letting him. I'd already taken a victory lap that week, and so I stepped off and put him on there on the first horse. They only have two victory lap horses, and Cash is like going here. Jump on behind me. So I just jumped on behind Cash. Well, then of course the horse starts bucking all the way down the side of the deal, and my brother's not helping. He's he's hat whipping this horse the whole time, <laughs> and I'm behind the seat. You know, it's not a great place to be. And so, and don't let anybody kid you. I stepped off of that horse. It's clear in the replay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But anyway, the back end, I swung a leg over, and and uh, it was it was quite comical so. right i remember that pretty cool well after that you went to the olympics tell us what that whole experience was like well you know it's quite a uh, quite a an opportunity you know to get a compete in in that in that environment in that um uh and that you know the olympics were salt lake city that year and and it was just the u.s versus canada it was just an exhibition sport for the for the olympics but i mean exhibition medals are still cool you know and um we got to compete at it um i was able to actually won the first round and come back one second in the second round and then then they have a shootout round and in, in the in the eight and i won it and then i had the top four and i won it and ended up winning the gold medal so who are you going up against rope uh you know brian fields um bob loomis um the Canadians were Mark uh, Mark Roy, world champion Mark Roy, and uh, I think uh, there was uh, I think it was Brad Gleason was the other guy from the United States. There's like five five Americans and five Canadians. I was trying to think who all the Canadians were. Um, uh, Blaine Blaine Peterson um, was world champion. Todd Bogus was another guy from up there. I can't remember all ten of us, but anyway, that's what it was. It was all those guys. Did you guys get to go out with them in the opening ceremonies? We didn't get to do the opening ceremonies, which would have been really, really cool. But we got to go watch some of the other sports. We got to watch the speed skate, and we got to watch some 
stuff like that. Some guys went and we watched hockey and we got to be a part of that. And, and it was just, it was, a, it was, a, it, you know, like the, uh, the president of the IOC at the time, he, he was there, he came to the event, his, uh, anyway, so it was, it was, it was cool to get to be a part of it. So. I imagine that's pretty special. Yeah. What about the jousting show? Was it, was it American <laughs> jouster or uh crud? I don't remember no, the exact all, name full, of it. Full, full metal jousting. It oh. was on the history channel. Oh yeah. Well, I tuned and... in every week for it. Me and my wife both did just cause we knew you, <laughs> you know, we, we yeah. were rooting for you every week. Yeah, that was kind of a crazy thing. You never know where God's going to lead your feet if you just let, give them some room. But um, we were actually headed to the um, the National High School Finals in, uh, or I'm sorry, National Junior High Finals in Gallup, New Mexico one year with my son. And my daughter, or I'm sorry, my wife was um, was over there and the, she was doing some work um, on her computer and she'd gotten an email in that said that um, about it, saying, "Hey, you know, you know, athletic men who want to challenge, and you know, they ride horses. There's a reality show, and we didn't even I didn't, we didn't know what it was at the time. Full metal jousting, we didn't know what it was. And she was just joking around and sent in sent in my name as a." Uh, as a possibility for the show or whatever, you know, she filled out the application and, you know, we were just joking around about it. I mean, you got a long ways to drive between, you know, Van, Texas and, and Gallup, New Mexico. And we get to Gallup, we're there for a day and a half and I get a phone call and, and this lady's on the phone. This is so-and-so from the history channel. Um, like to talk to you about your application for, metal jousting and i'm like oh, okay <laughs> um, we do the interview over the phone and still kind of don't think anything about it and then they 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 call me back and send me a, and ask me to send in a video and so so we take we just take a little video camera out there and shoot a little you know five minute video or not even that just a two minute video just kind of introduce myself and riding the horse around and and we put a couple of video of, of stirrups on there, and we send it to them. And still, kind of don't think much of it. And then they call me back and say, "Hey, we want to we want to fly it to L.A." And so this time we're like, "Going okay, we need to figure out what this is." And so while we all they had was the promo, we didn't even know what this. Felt. I didn't have any idea what it was about or anything like that. And, and um, so then they they invite us to uh, we go to. Jackson, Mississippi, and and they go for each one. Each, you know, had like thirty guys. They did MRIs on us to make sure we were healthy enough to do it. And then we interviewed us in in in, in LA, and and they they bring us out there, and and they 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 kind of trained us for a week. Not really trained. They mostly did it to kind of see who could who would be able to be a part of it. Anyway, out of that, they, they picked the, the 12 guys for the show, or the, or, or I guess there's a few more than that, whatever, 18, 16 guys for the show. And then we're all, I'm on the show 38 days later. I come out with $25,000, and the, and the, and the, uh, and uh, I didn't do as good as I'd like to have done, but I, it was a lot of fun doing it. The fun, the, the thing is, is, um, like we get, like, the show kind of didn't have the best part of, of the jousting because of all the television parts of it. You know what I mean? 
Um, we actually went from there to the, he took the eight guys from the show that he thought was the best, the guy that, that put it on. That was the, the kind of the Hank Shane, the guy, main guy. He took us to Madison, Wisconsin for the Madison horse fair. And we did, um, we did a, a full competition at the horse fair. It was, um, eight guys, just a tournament the first day and a tournament the second day. And it was crazy how much better we like we could do than we did on the show because with the show what was happening was like you couldn't tell but like they had this they had all these cameras and one of them was like on a wire like like you see at the football games and it was right over the tops of your head so like you know about ten foot above your head and that thing would go zipping across there you go Vroom, right up behind them and them horses just were they hated it you know. And, um, so them horses weren't acting right. And then all the thing was that the, the normal list, you can't see through the list, like the, the that's sol- normally a solid wall there. And so the horses can't see each other as well. So they don't duck, duck over from each other when you get to that point of contact. So in the practice list, it was like that. So we could just, we were just breaking sticks like crazy in the practices. And then we'd go to the, the, the final deal and we wouldn't do near as good. We wouldn't be near as many on horses and that kind of stuff. So the, at the, uh, when we were, when we were out there pr- promoting the show, we had the big one at, at, out there and, and I won, I won both days on it, beat, beat both the guy that won first and the guy that won second on it. it. Um, so I wish I could have produced a little more than I did, you know, but my, my jousting career is officially over. My last my last time I hadn't done it in a long time, and they had um, a, a a fundraiser for uh, this 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 horse farm that does stuff for PTSD for for um, for um, veterans and stuff that come back from from at that time Afghanistan stand and they were you know and they this horse place would, you know, basically use the horses as, as a therapeutic riding place to get people over that. So it was about eight, six or eight guys from the show. And we, we did a, we did a show like a, a show as a fundraiser for that um, place. Well, anyway, me and the guy that won second in the competition, we, we met, met the last day and the last match and for the championship. And um, the very first pass, he unhorses me and I unhorse him. I hit the ground and um, I, of course, I didn't know. You don't really know if you've unhorsed them. You just know you hit them really, really hard, you know. And I hit the ground and as soon as I hit the ground, I could tell my I, I dislocated my right shoulder. And so I'm laying on the ground and the guy walks up and I'm saying, you know, your your, your squire or whatever walks up and I'm like, hey, help me up. I, I'm my, my, my shoulder's dislocated. And he goes, no, I, I can't help you up. He says, if you can stand up, you're the winner. I was like, what do you mean? He says, he's knocked out. If you stand up, you're the champ. <laughs> so I, I get to the, get to my feet with my shoulder dislocated and I win the, win the competition. And anyway, that was the end of my jousting career. So <laughs> you had a great career except for the, for the TV show. Dang it. Right. Yeah, I would have lost the farm on that deal, Jimbo. I I thought, well, Rope's got this deal. He's the only one of the guys that could even ride a horse out of the deal, it looked like. And uh, 
I'll be dang, they got him. That jousting has yeah. to be a humbling sport, about like bulldogging is sometimes. Yeah, it was, it was a little tough. You know what? You know that that match I lost was a I, was a, was a bummer because I I was winning it and then my shield broke and then I kind of I, I let myself get rattled. So that's always that's always a, a reminder to keep your head in the middle of the moment. So. Yeah, it looked like the host. He was even picking <clears throat> rope to win the whole thing, you know? Right. Well, he had to be the betting favorite. He had to be. Had to be. Yeah. What? Well, there's a lot of rope when you retired. Uh, was it hard to do? Or were you well, ready? Well, I mean, not, not really. I mean, it, you know, there's, there's parts of it. I mean, there's, you know, there's parts of the competition that, you know, everybody, it's, it's hard to, there's, there's part of you that just that cuts your teeth on competition. It's hard to lay that down, you know. Um, but as far as the, you know, as far as the rest of it goes, I mean, I was, I was, I didn't like being away from my kids, and um, and you know, I, I had I had such a great opportunity when the time came. Um, I just felt like God had just ordained it. It just it felt like the right thing to do, you know. Um, I had for the last probably seven or eight years of my career, I I was given a tithe of my year to do rodeo camps around the country. We'd do one in Idaho, we'd do one in Western Oklahoma, we'd do one in Colorado, we'd do one in South Texas, and I would go do those camps around the country, and I'd always tell my wife, I was like, oh, man, I just wish there was some way we could do this right where we live, you know? And um, we... She, she at the time was like, going, "Hey, we don't, we don't have the, we don't have the, the, the infrastructure, the people, the place. The, you know, we just can't do it. You know." And um, I was, uh, my wife. You know, she sings beautifully. I've heard her sing. I always tell people she can really sing, and then they hear her sing, and they come back to me and they say, "Hey, your wife can really sing." And I'm like, "I told you that right at the beginning. You didn't believe me. What's her deal here? You know." And um, but she can really sing, and and. She was singing at an FCA event in Tyler, Texas, and some people saw her there and got to talking to her, invited her out to um, Sky Ranch. And when she was at Sky Ranch, um, they uh, Sky Ranch, by the way, is in our town. I, I, I lived in Van, Texas for a lot of years and thought Sky Ranch was, uh, you know, like a home for wayward boys, didn't even know what it was. And, um, and everybody always asked me, how did you end up in Van, Texas? And I, and I always had this kind of weird answer about, well, I was just driving around trying to look for places. And I went through multiple different cities, tried to start out in Athens and I just kept looking and ended up finding this place in, in, um, in, in, in Van. Um, well, anyway, they, they talked to her and they invited me out and pretty soon we had a, had a conversation with them and, and they said, you know they they they're doing they they do camps for kids and and they found out I, I did rodeo camps and they had never even heard of such a thing and so they invited us out they asked us if we'd come and talk to them about it and um, so we came out and we left there going I think we work here now mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was in 2004. And then in November of that year, right before the NFR, the last year I made the finals, they uh, they invited me to come on, and and the rest is history. We've been doing rodeo camps there for now 19 years. We we uh, this year we had just in the summertime we had 215 kiddos out for 
teach them how to rope and tie goats and run barrels and poles. And, and of course, we have our clinics throughout the year. We have all throughout the fall and and the spring. We have rodeo. We have breakaway clinics and tie down clinics and steer wrestling clinics. And, and uh, we have our elite clinic in December where we invite kids that have all made the national high school finals or the Texas high school finals, and we bring them in and talk to them about about how to really take their rodeo to the next level. We teach them about how to take care of their finances, how to market themselves, how to how to be successful at college and at the, at the next phases of their life. Um, and at the same time, we get to share the gospel. We get to tell them about the love and care in, in Jesus Christ and the way that he uh, can change their lives and, and not just help them to be successful when they nod their head, but be uh, successful in their marriages and in their in raising their own kids and having their own jobs and their own careers. And so um, we've been blessed to be able to do that for now, like I say, 19 years. So um, go where God takes you. That has to be rewarding to be able to do that, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, Everything I did in rodeo was fun. It was awesome, but it was nothing compared to the life I've got to live outside of it and after it. Nope, I'm going to put you on the spot here just a minute. Uh, if you were making a Mount Rushmore of bulldoggers, who would you put on it? <laughs> Four names. Four names. All, well, time, all time. You know, it doesn't have to be guys. All you, time. Yeah. I get it. Just yeah. whatever you think. Well, I mean, I, I'd probably put uh, Luke and um, uh, and and and, uh, and, and Oakberry. Uh, uh, well, I probably wouldn't put Oat. I'd probably put Luke and um, and Roy Duval for sure. Those two, I would put my dad on there, not because of what he's won, but because of the innovation that he has brought to the sport and the and the sheer volume of guys that he taught you know there's times at the nfr where there's eight guys eight or nine guys at the nfr that my dad had had um coached and instructed um which is pretty amazing and then the final one would be john w jones so well it's a pretty good list cody that's hard to beat right there right and you didn't stutter either. You know, a lot of times we throw those questions out there, and everybody can come up with the first two or three, but they, they have trouble with the fourth one. And <laughs> you just spit it right out. So I thought good. he might have put Jim Bynum on there. I'm not sure. Yeah. 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 You only yeah, got four I, spots. I, I know yeah, that one's hard to leave off there too. Holy yeah. moly. That yeah, it's hard, hard to leave off. Oh, and and I, I realize I might be, I might be a, a little bit uh, – a little bit prejudiced with my dad being on there, but I, you know, I, I think the body of work kind of holds, holds up when you, when you start to look at, at the people that, um, it's kind of like a coaching tree in the NFL. You know what I'm saying? It's the guys that have come through that. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Look at, look at the family he produced yeah. himself, world champion, you're a world champion. Yeah. Cash world-class Your sister, world-class Roper. Rope, what do you think about the Bulldogs today and what's going on? Well, you know, there's a there's a there's a couple things that are happening to us, and, and I I I think they first of all let me say to start off by saying that you know I think there's a lot of really really talented guys. I mean, uh, Wags is really really handy, and I, I think he bulldogs really really good, and I, I and he's a he's worthy of some guys that try to put him on the list, and I, and I wouldn't argue too hardly about that, you know. Um, I do think that one of the things that's happened in um, 
kind of with the way it's a little bit of the way things is, is gone. Um, it's become more of a go around kind of thing. It's one shot sure. so much. Um, it's, and the guy that was able to be consistent is not necessarily successful. That's why it kind of gets to the NFR and wags being one of the very few of those guys, um, that knows how to stay consistent ends up being winning world titles when a lot of those guys will make a great run and then not make a good run and make a great run and not make a good run. And it's kind of the way it's become, you know, it's uh, with a lot of these shootouts and a lot of things like that. And a lot of the big money won in those type of situations. Um, the value of being consistent is kind of lost its um, value, so to speak. And so I think that's part of what you see in, in, in steer wrestling right now, um, where you see guys that look amazing for four or five rounds at the NFR and then just fall apart. And it's because they just have been going at it. And I, and I, I you know, I appreciate that. I understand it. It's just, it's, it's, it's the world we're living in and it's the way they're going about it, you know, right now. So, um, that's, I, I don't, I don't really think that's a negative, no. a, a negative on the steer wrestlers themselves. I think it's just, um, it's the game that's being played right now. Right. So you got to play it the way it's being played. So. Right. For sure. You know, they're probably the tightest group of guys in rodeo Jimbo here a few years ago. They decided they didn't love what was going on at Cheyenne and they boycotted it. And they, only, they only got 26 steer wrestlers at Cheyenne that year. So yeah. that tells you something that, uh, the, that the Bulldogs are a pretty tight group and they, they pretty well see eye to eye. And I like to see that in a group of guys, I guess, Jimbo. Absolutely. Well, Rope, we sure appreciate you coming on today. Well, I enjoyed it. Enjoyed talking with y'all. I hope I didn't open in where your ears at too much. No, <laughs> you were great. And we appreciate your career and, and really appreciate what you're doing now in the ministry and with helping the kids and stuff. That's great. Yeah, that's the best thing we can do, Jimbo. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's the way I see it. I feel like that you guys are doing the same thing out there. You're making sure that uh, others hear about um, the World Rodeo and continue to uh, continue to inspire others to pursue it. Well, thank you, Rope. We appreciate that. You ever get up our way, come see us now. We'll do that. We'll do that. All right, everybody. This is Cowboy of the Osage Podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you, Rope. Thanks, Rope. Thank you, sir. Bye. Bye-bye. Old stories like long lost friends Rodeos and late night bends History before our time Round pens and pasture rides Cowboys of the Osage